I need to feed my spirit. listening to Wait You Were Mormon with Devin Brown. I'm your host, Devin Brown. Um, it's episode three, and I finally got the female perspective for you guys. My guest is the lovely Shelly Marie. She served her mission in Washington State. Um, and we are going to talk about a lot of really pressing issues like um, the, L- the treatment of LGBTQ um, members of society by the church. We're going to talk about how freeing it is to be able to finally make choices for yourself. I mean, I think you guys will find her story very compelling and very, very helpful. Um, and again, I just want to reiterate that, um, you know, we're doing this podcast um, for you guys. Um, please reach out. I've been loving the emails, the messages. Um, everybody, if you're feeling like you're in a dark place, if you're having bad thoughts, please reach out you know we want to be able to um, give you a place to lend your voice and and get that help that you need um, if you're going through a hard transition in your life Um, again that's um, waityouwermormon at gmail.com or you can reach me on instagram at waityouwermormonpodcast Um, but just kind of hopping right into it um, can you just Tell us a little about you and what brings you on the podcast today. Yeah, so my name is Shelly. Um, I grew up Mormon. Um, I'm a seventh generation Mormon. Um, my ancestors joined the church in Sweden, Denmark, and England, and then all immigrated to Utah. Um, I was very Mormon when I was growing up. So, I mean, I did youth conference, EFY, girls camp. I was a seminary graduate, went to BYU, married in the temple. Um, Very Mormon, super Mormon. Um, My leaving Mormonism was a very slow, gradual process. Um, I officially stopped going to church in 2019. Okay. Um, And these days I consider myself a a passionately agnostic post-Mormon. Okay. Tell us a little bit more about that. How would you break that down? <laughs> so um, I like I like thinking of myself as a post-Mormon as opposed to like an ex-Mormon mm-hmm. um, because, I don't know, I think ex-Mormon maybe has kind of a negative connotation associated with it. Okay. So but post-Mormonism means like, you know, it was, it was useful for me at one point. It was meaningful for me at one point, um, but it no longer fits who I am or what I need. Um, And then the passionately agnostic part. um, I, uh, I don't know. I don't know what I believe about God these days. I don't know what I believe about religion, but I'm passionate about asking questions and being curious about that. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And especially what you're saying about the, the connotations of ex Mormon and post Mormon. Um, Mm -hmm. Cause I've, you know, just beginning the podcast, I wanted to make it clear, like, hey, this is not an anti-podcast yeah. in any way. That's not what we're trying to do. Um, we've always tried to really maintain respect, um, especially towards the culture aspect of it. Um, but yeah, no I just think that I think that's just like a, that is important, kind of just making that distinction 
that, hey, you know, you don't have to be anti once you leave something. You can still um, respect and appreciate all of the things that were important in, like, kind of shaping you, the positive sure, aspects yeah. of who you are. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah. definitely we don't want to be anti in any way. Um, now, you did serve a mission, correct? Correct. Where did you serve? I served in the Washington Everett mission um, in 2010 and 2011. Okay. And that was something you always wanted to do or what led you yeah, to? Yeah, my whole life, my entire life, I wanted to be a missionary. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. And I started my mission papers literally as soon as I possibly could. Okay. And that was before the age change? Yeah, that was before the age change. So when women went at 21. Mm-hmm. So I was 20 and six months when I started my um, mission papers. Okay. Um, what were your feelings when you first got your call? Um, I was really excited. I mean, to be completely honest, there's always a little bit of disappointment when you're are called stateside. Yeah. I think we don't want to admit that, but, um, but I mean, I was really excited. Um, I was excited to go to Washington. Um, so I don't know. It was kind of this interesting combination of like, part of me wished that I would go somewhere a little cooler, you know, but, Mm -hmm. um, I ended up falling in love with Washington, falling in love with the Pacific Northwest. So, yeah. Mm. And everybody wants to kind of learn a language or something like that as well. I remember, I remember I put in my mission papers, like it asks you, you know, your language experience. I had taken four years of French in high school. And so I thought for sure I would go French speaking somewhere. Mm. Um, But nope, went to Washington. Yep. I remember I went to uh, Ghana, the Ghana Cape Coast mission, I'm mm-hmm. in, and it's English speaking. And um, but I remember when I got my call, there was a little piece in the packet like um, I needed to get a passport like um, for Ghana and Cote d'Ivoire. And so mm. I was kind of like, oh, man, am I actually going to like be learning French? Am I going to be going mm-hmm. to this whole separate mission? Like there's there some confusion about that. But um, I was a little disappointed that I didn't get to go and kind of learn French just because I was like, oh, that would be so beneficial. Like, sure. Yeah. You know, like some translator job, something like that would be cool just to be able to use mm-hmm. French. Um, but once I actually got there, I was like so grateful that it was English for the most part. Yeah. I feel like, like being a missionary is hard. It's so hard. It is hard work. I couldn't imagine having to learn a language on yeah, top of that. On top of it. Yeah. Exactly. Um, like I say, the mission was English. A lot of people, if they didn't go to school, they spoke the common dialects. Um, so depending on where you were, you would have to use translators a lot for lessons. Mm -hmm. Um, so I remember Mm -hmm. some of those first like early weeks, just like being in this village, I had a Ghanaian companion. So he was just pretty much teaching the lessons himself and I'll just be sitting Mm -hmm. there like so lost, but like wanting to really contribute and say all of these things that I feel so like passionate about that's why I'm here and like not being able to do it like not be able to really like access tools to learn the language properly right all of that was very frustrating but like you know when you really have a need like I gotta be able to speak Japanese just to be able to do anything Mm -hmm. I can't can't imagine the extra the stress yeah on top of that but aside from uh just the mission being difficult like what were some of your first like initial impressions when you got to Washington? Um, It was really jarring for me. Um, From my first day out of the MTC, I was immediately riddled with 
really severe anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember my companion and I driving up to the first house that I was going to knock on. And um, I physically could not get out of the car. Um, I was trying to like catch my breath. My hands were shaking. Um, I just felt like terrified and I didn't know what was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know at the time that it was anxiety. And um, eventually I was able to kind of calm down enough to go knock on the door and you know get rejected. Um, but that anxiety never really went away the entire time that I was a missionary. So um, yeah, my mission experience, unfortunately, was, you know, really heavily um, painted by, mm. you know, having severe anxiety. Yeah. Now you said you didn't really know at the time. When did you first recognize like, oh, I'm, I'm dealing with something that's, you know, kind of a little yeah. beyond what I'm, I'm used to? Uh, it took me a couple of weeks. Um, it was around the end of my first transfer when I realized like um, something's wrong. Like this yeah. isn't just nerves. This isn't just like, you know, something benign, like something's wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so I know just talking to some other missionaries and just from what I saw in my own experience, um, getting access to medical, you know, necessities can be difficult mm-hmm. at times. Um, were you able to find some sort of treatment for that? Cause it seems like it was getting pretty severe where it's, it's, um, obstructing you to be able to. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So I, um, my mission president sent me to see a counselor from LDS family services, mm-hmm. um, who was not helpful at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, his whole approach was um, just don't think about it and it'll go away. Just don't think about having anxiety and you'll stop feeling it. And that's um, terrible because um, like since then, um, everything that like I've learned in therapy is like, no, you have to feel it. You have to acknowledge it. Yeah. Like that's the healthy way to deal with it is, um, is to recognize that it's there and um you know, ignoring it isn't going to make it go away. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that counselor, I'm sure he meant well, and maybe that approach worked for him, but uh, it definitely did not work for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it feels very, like, invalidating. Like, I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm like, oh, man, if that was what I was being told, you know, it's almost like saying, uh, like, it's not real, like, it's just, you know, in my head or something. But Yeah, yeah. Um. Was it just like an approach anxiety or were there other kind of triggers for you just being out in the mission field? Just being out in the mission field. It just felt really isolating. I remember just feeling really lonely Mm. um, because this was when you could only call home on Christmas and Mother's Day. Yeah. And um, I just felt really far away from like everybody who I cared about. Mm. Um. There were, you know, some moments where I could just kind of feel like I could relax. There were, you know, a couple of families that I loved when we would go into their homes. I just kind of felt like I could relax and just kind of calm down. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say like 95% of my experience as a missionary was just like being riddled with anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, was that something that you were open with your companions about? Like, did they um, really have this kind of struggle? So my trainer, 
uh, my first companion, um, I didn't really know how to explain it. Um, and so I tried explaining it to her and her response was, uh, you know, you probably just don't have enough faith Wow. and, and you just need more faith. And if you have more faith then you'll be able to fix this. And my response was like, of course, like, that's absolutely right. I just don't have enough faith. Mm. If I just have more faith then I, I wouldn't feel like this. If I were just a better missionary, if I were more obedient to mission roles, um, then I wouldn't feel like this. Um, I had some other companions who were, you know, really kind and really compassionate. Um, um, but that, that first companion, again, I'm sure she meant well, mm. um, but it, it was not helpful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, I think that's something that a lot of people, we, we forget, like, you know, I'm with this person like 24 hours a day. Um, but I really don't know anything about them. You know what I mean? I don't right. know what they're going through, what their story is, um, just mm-hmm. the little that they can or feel comfortable sharing with me. I know just since starting this project, um, just people that have reached out um, that I knew from the mission, people that are kind of transitioning and approaching that kind of post-Mormon part of their lives. Um, just some people are like, yeah, you know, this is very cathartic for me because, mm-hmm. you know, I did struggle every day of my mission. It was difficult for me. And then mm-hmm. you have people that are saying, wow, for the most part, I really enjoyed my mission. I'm so, yeah. sh- I'm so shocked that there are people like you that felt like, it, you know, that they yeah. that never really get comfortable and thrive in it. So there's kind of that mm-hmm. interesting dynamic. Um, so how long that after you started experiencing all of that anxiety for the first time, um, were you able, like how long until you were able to kind of... I don't know, come to terms with it or like kind of get a grip on it to be able to serve or did it impede your mission completely? Um, I ended up uh, making the decision to go home after Mm. four months. Um, So I went home on a medical release. Um, My mission president was really supportive. My companion, I was in a three pack at the time. So I had two companions. They were really supportive. Um, my parents were supportive, um, but it was still really hard to feel like I had failed at this thing that I had wanted to do my entire life. Mm. Um, you know, I, I really struggled for a long time of feeling like I had let God down. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was a really hard decision to make, but it just got to the point where I realized I, I can't do this for another, you know, 14 months. Mm -hmm. I can't, um, you know, struggle this way for that long. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, you said um, like your family was supportive. So there was, did you feel any, did you feel stigmatized in any way? Like some people kind of say, um, I, I mean, people wanted to know like why I came home and I didn't really want to tell people. Mm-hmm. Um, and people would ask like, well, are you going back out? Are you going to go back out? And yeah. I would just have to say like, I don't know, maybe, Um, but I, I don't know if people talked about it, I didn't hear anything, you know? So, um, I mean, it, it was, you know, I definitely felt embarrassed. Um, but, um, 
I don't know. I, I also think that because there's not as much pressure on women to serve missions, especially at yeah. that time, mm. um, that it wasn't, you know, as big of an issue that I came home early, as opposed to, I'm sure if I would have been, um, you know, a, a man who came home early, that that would have been, you know, much of a, a much bigger deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, after coming home, um, how long until you kind of transition into post-Mormonism? Like, what were some of those initial kind of shelf items for you? Um, so when we talk about like shelf items, those actually started like pre-mission. Okay. So I kind of have, <laughs> um, I'm very type A. I like putting things in boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of have like four major things that ultimately, you know, as, as we say, broke my shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one is the church's treatment of LGBTQIA folks. Okay. Um, second is the history of racism in the church. Mm-hmm. Third is um, the general gender asymmetry in the church, both doctrinally and culturally. Mm-hmm. And then fourth, uh, polygamy. So um, there was one instance on my mission where we knocked on this guy's door and he was really nice. And he just said, um, you know, I just don't agree with your church's stance on gay marriage. And I really wanted to say, um, that's great, because neither do I. Yeah. But I, I couldn't say that because I was, you know, an official representative of the church. Mm. And, um, you know, that's always been something that's been really hard for me. Because, uh, you know, starting in high school, I started becoming supportive of same-sex marriage. Mm-hmm. And because I had friends who were gay and lesbian and it didn't make sense to me that they couldn't get married um and then I was at BYU during prop eight in California and that was really rough and at the time um I I I didn't know that I was queer um and so I kind of thought of it as like you know just being empathetic to other people's struggles um but then when I started realizing like wait like this affects me. Like, what if I didn't marry a man in the temple? What if I fell in love with a woman, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and then I also just have a lot of issues with, you know, the amicus briefs that the church files in Supreme courts mm-hmm. against same sex marriage. I just have a lot of issues with, you know, a church that's, you know, being untaxed, getting involved yeah. in political issues. Mm-hmm. Um, And then with racism in the church, I've never been satisfied with the apologetics of why uh, the priesthood and temple ordinances were withheld from black members until 1978. Mm. Um, I've I've never been satisfied with any answer that I've gotten for that. Um, And then kind of the, I would say like the big shelf item in my life is polygamy for sure. Yeah. when I was a freshman at BYU, uh, we had uh, an anonymous question answer session in Relief Society. So we could write questions down on index cards and the state president would answer them. And one of the questions that uh, one of the girls asked was, um, why is it that men can be sealed to more than one living woman, but a woman can't be sealed to more than one living man? Uh And um, the state president said, Uh, That's because in order to get into the highest level of celestial kingdom, um, you'll have to live in a polygamous marriage. Uh And that was devastating to me 
And I spent a long time trying to learn how to be okay with that. Um, and it was really sad because at a time, you know, I was, I was a freshman, I was, you know, 18 years old at a time when I should have been enjoying going on dates and having crushes and, mm. um, you know, that kind of stuff. I was worried like, well, I don't want to fall too much in love because, um, I'll, you know, have to end up sharing my husband anyway. Yeah. So, um, and that's really sad. That's, yeah. a, I think, a really sad way to think about love and marriage. Um, and then the more that I just learn about early Mormon polygamy, the more just the angrier I get the way that, you know, women were traded like baseball cards. Mm. Um, yeah, that that's that's always bothered me. And then with that, you know, just just the gender asymmetry in the church. Um, the temple is a big one for me. Mm. The um, the differences between a man's experience and a woman's experience mm -hmm. in especially the endowment ceremony, um, which I won't go into details on just out of respect for, yeah, uh, you know, believers, but, um, yeah, I was also involved in the, um, ordained women movement, mm -hmm. um, back when that was kind of a bigger thing. And in 2014, I flew to Salt Lake city, um, to, ask for admittance to the priesthood session uh -huh. uh, of general conference. And there were, you know, there were a line of hundreds of women yeah. asking for to be admitted to priesthood session. And one by one, we were all told no. And um, even though I knew I was going to be told no, um, and even though the woman who was in charge of telling us all no was, you know, really kind and really gracious, um, it still was really hurtful to be told that um, my womanness made me inherently unworthy to be in that place. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So when we talk about kind of these shelf items, um, there's, <laughs> there's a lot. And it, I mean, mm -hmm. you know, not to, you know, overuse the metaphor, but it really just did get to the point where it just all got too heavy yeah. and the mental gymnastics just became too much. And the apologetics stopped being satisfying. Mm -hmm. And I just had to finally let all of that go. Yeah, absolutely. Now you said mm -hmm. you stopped going to church in 2019. Mm -hmm. um, so what were your feelings um, in 2015 with like the, the LGBT, like youth baptism information getting, getting leaked? Yeah, that was really hard for me. Um, that was a really hard time. My, my thing was I wanted to show, like I wanted to be like the poster child of being politically progressive and unorthodox and non-traditional while also being like a very active believing member of the church. Mm. And so I was, I just kind of constantly had this, this dissonance that I had to live with yeah. of, um, you know, knowing that the church was doing these things that weren't, that weren't benign, they were actively harmful mm -hmm. to a lot of people, um, especially LGBTQ folks. Um, and it just kind of got to the point where I realized, like, I, I can't support this church with my activity anymore. Mm -hmm. I can't do it. Um, and yeah, that was definitely a big one. The not allowing baptisms of um, children of uh, same-sex couples mm -hmm. was definitely a big one for me mm -hmm. now i guess so since 2019 
and since you have stopped going, um, what's your, how's life been for you? What's your experience been like? Um, I've been really lucky that the people that I care about, the people whose opinions matter to me, mm-hmm. um, have been supportive of me and, um, trust me to use my good judgment to make my own decisions. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know other people who, you know, their spouses have left them or they've been disowned by their families mm-hmm. because they've left the church. And um, in that sense, I'm incredibly lucky. Um, you know, I have some former friends and some extended family members who have not been as kind to me, but, mm-hmm. you know, their opinions don't matter to me. So yeah. that's fine. Um, I've been dabbling in a few different religious traditions just to kind of see if you know i can find something that feels like it fits mm-hmm. um i still find christianity compelling um i i like the jesus story mm-hmm. i like the story of redemption and reconciliation and liberation mm-hmm. um and so i've kind of dipped my toes into things like episcopalianism and unitarian universalism um i'm also really drawn to buddhism um mm-hmm. i think they have some ideas about meaning and suffering that I really like. Um, and then other days I'm just solidly more of an atheist, more of a secular humanist. Mm -hmm. Um, but the more I kind of search, um, the more I come to the conclusion that searching and asking questions is more of a spiritual practice to me than believing the right stuff. Mm. So that's kind of where I am in like religious beliefs or faith. Mm-hmm. Um, I still consider myself like Mormon adjacent. Yeah. So I um, am really active in a lot of online um, Mormon feminist groups. Um, I still have a lot of people that I care about who are Mormon. Um, I've been reading the book uh, Living Buddha, Living Christ, which is written by a, a Vietnamese uh, Buddhist. Um where he talks about the parallels between Buddhism and Christianity. Mm-hmm. And um, I really like how he says that even though he isn't a Christian, he considers Jesus to be one of his spiritual ancestors. Okay. And like that, I consider Joseph Smith to be one of my spiritual ancestors. Um, so being Mormon is a huge part of my heritage. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm only being half metaphorical when I say that it's encoded in my DNA. Mm-hmm. Um so I, I, you know, I still have a soft spot for Mormonism. I'm not antagonistic. I'm not anti, um, even though I have a lot of issues, a lot of concerns, even though I think that some of the things the church does are malignant and harmful. Um, it's still, you know, an important part of my identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you said it goes back seven generations for you, right? Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. So that would be, you know, to deny that, like to erase yourself in that way would be you know Mm -hmm. really out there so yeah but um did your partner did he start leaving at the same time as you in 2019 or was that something that happened he's still active um well i mean as active as he can be during a pandemic um but uh and there's definitely been some tension you know in our relationship because of my decision to leave but um he's supportive and again, you know, he's one of those people who trusts me and trusts my judgment and mm-hmm. my decision-making capacity. And, um, 
so you know we've had a lot of good conversations about it um he's not you know he's by no means like orthodox you know in mm -hmm. mormonism he he's definitely is more politically progressive is more um kind of doctrinally progressive um mm -hmm. um but you know still active and i respect him and he respects me and yeah. um so we make it work yeah that's awesome um kind of circling back to just kind of exploring other kind of spiritualities um mm -hmm. and how just kind of introspection you know seems to be mm -hmm. the most beneficial thing for you i kind of like that um is there you know aside from what you mentioned is there any sort of like specific text that you've come across that was the most um beneficial for you that you could suggest uh so one of my absolute favorite authors is rachel held evans okay um i am obsessed with her um so she grew up evangelical christian um, and has a very similar story to a lot of my, you know, more progressive Mormon friends that just started having doubts about, you know, the culture and the doctrine and sort of found her own um, way of being a Christian. And it's when I read her that I feel the most drawn to Christianity, like more so than when I read the four gospels. Yeah. <laughs> Um, she's an amazing author. Um, she actually passed away recently, which was really sad. Um, but she's written a few really fantastic books. Oh, that's awesome. Um, I guess that's kind of in closing, like, is there anything that I haven't asked that you feel impressed to speak on? Um, I mean, I just, I guess I just want people to know, like, um, it, it can be scary to, make your own decisions after growing up in a place where a lot of decisions were made for you. Uh -huh. And I think my decision to come home early from my mission was, it was hard and it was, um, it was a really tough decision to make, but it was one of my first experiences of really advocating for myself. Yeah. And so kind of in a, a weird way, I'm really grateful for the decision that I made to go home early uh -huh. because, um, it was one of the first times that I really made a decision for myself um, because up until that point, all of the decisions were made for me, uh -huh. you know, like the path was very clear. It was very laid out. You know, you go to BYU, you get married in this temple, you have kids, you, um, you know, you're a stay at home mom and making the decision to leave early was, um, was, you know, in, in kind of a weird way, empowering. Uh -huh. And, you know, now that I'm out of the church and no longer a believer, um, I just feel so free. You know, mm -hmm. I was scared for a long time that I would be unhappy, that I would be miserable, that I wouldn't have any meaning or any you know, purpose in life. Um, but it is so liberating. Yeah. It is so liberating, you know, to, I, growing up, you know, I, I wanted a career, but you know, you're all, as a woman, you're also told, you know, your highest calling is to have kids and be a stay at home mom. Mm -hmm. And to not have to live with that dissonance anymore, to not feel any guilt for having a full-time job and wanting yeah. to pursue a career is so liberating. Um, and it's, it's scary to leave. It's scary to try to make your own decisions and to assert your own autonomy and your own self-determination, but um, it's worth it. I think mm -hmm. it's 100% worth it. And 
you know, at the same time, I don't want to dissuade anybody from Mormonism. I don't, I don't feel like it's my calling or my job to try to persuade somebody else to leave the church. Um, but if somebody, if you, if you just, if you're struggling and if you don't feel like it fits, um, you know, try a sabbatical, (laughs) try, try a a room springer from Mormonism. And, um, you know, you can always go back Mm -hmm. if you find that your life is more meaningful as a Mormon, you know, they'll take you back. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, I really love that, uh, a room springer from from Mormonism. Um, yeah. But no, I'm that really, I'm really excited that, because um, you could see as you started to um, explain yourself, just uh, a new kind of glow overcame you, just like talking about being liberated and just the yeah. freeing, you know, making decisions for yourself um, for the first time can be, um, so I just really, I love seeing that, um, that change and that fulfillment kind of take place in people's lives. So I'm really grateful that you came on and were, were willing to know share kind of intimate details about some of your experiences um and pieces of your story um, and i really mm-hmm. appreciate it so mm-hmm. cool um, i will i will share my absolute favorite mission story yeah, absolutely um this one's quick um so i was in a tiny town called everson uh it's a town of about 2,000 people and uh it didn't have any major grocery stores it had a little tiny grocery store and we were at the grocery store when p-day and we were walking down the aisle and this guy turns the corner and looks at us and goes, missionaries. And he lifts up his shirt and he has a CTR tattoo across his stomach. That was like a huge one? Yeah, oh, yeah, wow. like just like the, the shield, everything. Oh, oh, wow. And and then he walks away and we never saw him again. So if he's listening to this, I want to know your story. Yeah. <laughs> it might've been one of the three Nephites, possibly. That's exactly what I told my husband, yeah. that I thought it was one of the three Nephites. One of the three fights that you came across that's hilarious <laughs> but no i really appreciate it shelly um yeah well, this sh- should come out monday so I can send okay you the link. cool all right awesome have you enjoy the Perfect. rest of your day thanks you too all right, bye see ya Focal Point Podcast for the Focal Point Cinema and Sound Company.